Welcome to episode 243 of the Women of the Military podcast. This week my guest is Alicia Washkovec. She served in the Navy. She began her career by attending the Naval Academy and then she went on to get her master's at the Naval Postgraduate School in Monterey. After graduation, she went to serve aboard a ship or two ships and she was able to deploy twice. Alicia's job after being a swell was a military hydrographer where she got to map the ocean floor and she got to talk about what that experience was like and it was really cool to hear about a job that I hadn't heard about before. Today, Alicia serves as the New Politics COO, where she applies many of the lessons from the field into her role, instigating a mission-driven culture that encourages diversity, equity, and inclusion. Don't forget, you can always tune in to Women of the Military podcast on Reese Across America Radio on Fridays at 7 p.m. Eastern and Saturdays at 11 a.m. Eastern. You can listen on iHeartRadio, the TuneIn app, or Odyssey. Now with that out of the way, let's get started with this week's interview. Welcome to Women of the Military podcast. I'm here with Alicia. Welcome to the show. I'm so excited to have you here. Thank you so much. I'm really excited to be here. I'm excited. So let's start with why did you decide to join the military? No one in my family was ever in the military. And it just so happened. I was a swimmer. I swam in high school. And there was my friend who was a year older than me, wound up going to the Naval Academy. And she was like, hey, I go to the Naval Academy. It's kind of cool. I was like, cool. What's that? Um, and I, I mean, I truly, I had no idea, like different branches of service. I didn't know reserves, active duty, like any of that. I don't know if I really knew what I was getting into, but I really had this idea of service in my mind, just growing up, like from my parents, you know, like whether my dad was mowing the neighbor's lawn or my mom was like, oh, you're like Brownie's troop needs a troop leader. I'll be the troop leader. Just this idea of service and, and kind of hearing and learning about the Naval Academy from my friends seemed pretty cool. So then they had this program that was called Summer Seminar, and you go the senior, the, the summer before your senior year of high school, and you spend a week there. And I think my folks and my whole family were like, oh, she's going to go and hate it. And I went and loved it. I loved the, um, like the traditions. I loved uh, the sort of like pomp and circumstance, but I, I really love the camaraderie. Like you spend a week in this little squad of like rising high school seniors and you don't know them but by the end of the week and now these are the olden days before like text messages and all those things this is when you had like pen pals so by the end of the week like i was so close with this squad of people that i'd never met because we literally spent a week together then we're like all pen pals who's applying and who's going and i think that summer seminar experience plus i'm also one of those folks where like you tell me oh you can't do that but i'm like well i'm gonna do it i'm proving wrong all of that combined i was like i'm gonna go to the naval academy I'm pretty sure that my mom cried and my dad was like, we'll mortgage the house to send you anywhere else to college. And I was like, no, 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 I'm going to, I'm going to go here. Also, Annapolis is gorgeous. I'm going to do that. And then I did it. And then fun fact, you're in, you're in the Navy, but that's, that's how, that's how I certainly don't regret it. Uh, but I don't know if I really knew what I was getting into, uh, but I do it all over again, for sure. I think a lot of people don't know what they're getting into. I think we look back now as like, older people not old but we're older and we're like what was my 17 you know 16 year old that like what was I thinking like I wasn't thinking I was like this seems cool let's do it right yeah it's like a big adventure right join the navy see the world like okay let's do it yeah and I wonder because like 
for the internet, I think the world has changed a lot. And so, like, there wasn't a lot of resources. It was like, you went to that, you know, week-long thing. I talked to someone who was a naval grad who went to that, and then she went to, like, the first summer, and she was like, it was not the same! And, like, she had no (laughs) idea what she was signing up for, but, like, without the internet and without, like, you know, a YouTuber telling you what to expect, how how are you really supposed to know? Because, you know, like, you didn't have anyone in your family. How are you supposed to know what you're really signing up for? Yeah, I mean, I I think the Naval Academy, and, like, not to knock that, like, they're, like, I had a blue and gold officer, you know, like, they really tried to be like, hey, here's what you're doing, and I'm like, okay, 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 okay. Um, and it just, you know, it seemed like a great big adventure. It seemed like a good idea. So I was like, okay, I'm, I'm going to go do that. Also, you know, it's free for anybody listening. Like, you know, they paid for my college, uh, which was really nice. And it was like a guaranteed job when you got out. So all of those things seemed like a really good idea. So I was like, okay, I'm going to go do this now. What year was it when you went to college? 1999. Okay. So September 11th happened while you were at the Academy? While I was at the Naval Academy. Yeah. Which was, you know epic epic for anybody that can remember and experience what it was like during September 11 and to be you know I watched the second tower fall while we were in class they turned all the TVs on and then we essentially went on you know like lockdown and it it got really real I had a I had a cousin that was living in New York um he's okay I had a teammate on the swim team who lost you know her uncle because he was a firefighter there like and and then we're at war and we weren't at war when I entered the Naval Academy. So it got it got very real very quickly. Yeah, changed everything. Did you feel like the Academy changed in like maybe like the overall feeling of like before and after or or how did that affect it? I think it made everything more tangible in that I mean a lot of what I liked about the academy that you know when you're there you're learning about leadership you're learning about being in a in a unit in a company in a squad you know you're learning about like what it means to truly count on someone and be part of a team trying to do any type of project together which ultimately becomes like missions and deployments um, and the Navy has these these laws and they sing them to the song from like Gilligan's Island. And there's this one law of the Navy that's like the the strength of the cable, like on the strength of the cable dependent the might of the chain and like live like you're going to be tested. Like it essentially means like every single link in the chain has to hold that chain together. And so after September 11, it just it suddenly became very real that each one of us is part of this greater length of chain to serve our country and that we were going to be asked, like our class, you know, the classes that were the class of 2001 was immediately going to be going out there into the world, into war and deploying. And, and that knowledge of that, that link of the chain that you were in this thing that's bigger than yourself, that now really did matter a lot more. It made a lot of those lessons and the laws of the Navy that you would sing, it just made them a lot more tangible and a lot more real and a lot more impactful. I mean, I'd say that maybe maybe it made it a little bit scarier because it was so much more real because entering in we were entering in essentially during a time of peace but it was something that from day one you were thinking and talking about day in and day out so I I felt I felt prepared in that sense that this is why this is what you train for every single day and now it's just it's immediately part of your life yeah that makes sense that you're already talking about it and you're thinking about it because you're joining the military Whereas, you know, like civilians aren't thinking about it because they're that's not part of their life. Yeah, 
that makes a lot of sense. So what was your career field when you graduated? So I had was called, I studied oceanography uh, at the Naval Academy, which is one of the other reasons. It was like, this is really cool. Look at all these wave pool things and like all this cool ocean engineering equipment. I'm going to do that. So I had what was called back then an ocean option, which meant that when I first graduated the Naval Academy, I had to go unrestricted line first. And so you had to go like pilot, surface warfare officer, um, and, and earn your unrestricted designation. So I went uh, surface warfare. So I had to get my swell pin. Um, but then at any point, I could sort of like drop my ocean option and go restricted line, which at that time was uh, METOC, Meteorology Oceanography. It's now part of Information Dominance. When I first graduated from the Naval Academy, I actually went straight to the Naval Postgraduate School as a surface warfare officer studying anti-submarine warfare, which that in itself is an adventure because there's so many international students. And I was like a little ensign from the Naval Academy. I thought it was like, okay, smart. But then next to you is like the smartest military officer in all of Greece that like got selected to go to the Naval Postgraduate School in Monterey, California. And like he could teach the class. And I was like, oh my gosh, I know nothing. But it was fun. Um, but so then I did surface warfare, a couple different ships. I cross-ducked so that I could deploy and get some more experience quicker. But then after that, I was able to drop my ocean option and I went to a new unit, which was really cool for anyone listening out there because you have to ride around on like jet skis with sonar buoys behind me uh, called Fleet Survey Team. So they did hydrography for the Navy. They were based in Stennis, uh, the space center down in Mississippi. Kind of, I was all over the place. I was just talking to someone and they were like, they were like, isn't a good resource to talk about all the different career fields in the military and I was like you're right there isn't and now you're like talking about this career field I'm like I had no idea that you could do that in the navy like that just sounds so cool it was super cool and um I'm still really close with the commanding officer from the time and he still works in like the hydrography field and the executive officer who's still in the military but I spent a lot of time talking to high schools when I was in Mississippi to just be like hey do you like science do you want to ride a jet ski? You can do that in the Navy. Like, you know, there's all these things you don't realize, but like, if you think about dive teams or SEAL teams or folks trying to like pull into ports, they need to know what it looks like under the water. And like an easy way to do that is to deploy with a jet ski and have some sonar buoys behind you and help map it out. So that was fun. Yeah. So let's go back to you graduating and then you went to the Naval Postgraduate in Monterey, which, I mean, it's in such a cool location. And my husband went to the AFIT, which is the Air Force Institute of Technology, yeah. which is the equivalent. And he said something like, I thought I was like sort of smart. And I realized I don't know anything because I'm next to these like super smart people and I feel really dumb. So, <laughs> so that's funny that you said that. Yeah, no, I, I literally, I was like, I'm sitting next to the smartest, like, person from the entire military of Italy that got, like, selected to go here. And I just graduated, and I'm like, I mean, I thought I knew a thing. I know nothing compared to that guy. So what was it like to go from, like, the academy to no Naval Postgraduate School? Because it's kind of like, it's college, but it's not restrictive. It's very different. Yeah, I mean, so the military was like super, the Naval Academy was really restricted. Like, you know, you had to wear a uniform for the first two years. You couldn't go outside a 22 mile radius. They like told you when you could literally leave campus, which was the yard or not. Everybody lived together on the yard. You don't like live off campus or anything like that. There's, there's a lot of rules, a whole lot of rules. 
Um, and then you go to the Naval Postgraduate School in Monterey, California, which is just gorgeous. Like anybody that's never been to Monterey, California, go. It's beautiful. It's hands down the most beautiful place I have ever lived. And all of a sudden you're wearing, you know, it's still a military school, but you're wearing like civilian clothes. You know, your professors would like, a lo it's not as common for like young officers to go there. Typically officers are there later in their careers. So m most officers there might have like a spouse and kids and families. And we were there, there's like 15 of us that went from the Naval Academy that immediately went to postgraduate school. And like, we're young and single and have no idea about the real world. And it was our first little baby taste of kind of the real world and being on our own and having to <laughs> go grocery shopping and pay our bills and things because you know the naval academy you just like eat in king hall which is like the giant mess hall so it, it was a it was a fun little taste of freedom and like a beautiful place but it was it was really the school part was really tough and i in all honesty i, I probably was a little burned out from having just finished like my degree at the naval academy and then essentially two weeks later i'm like back in class again it was really hard uh so yeah, I, I got a lot of help from some of those lovely officers from other countries that were like the smartest military person in their entire country. They were very helpful. Good yeah. study group. I, I don't doubt that it was hard. My husband's program was super hard. He was like always studying and study groups and yeah, that makes sense. Well, so you were there and you went through that program. You learned a lot. And then you said that you went to a ship, right? Yes, I did. Uh, fun story for... For me, I originally had selected a ship out of Japan. Um, I was supposed to go with one of my best friends. We we're going to live in Japan. It was going to be amazing. I wound up having to get knee surgery when I was at the Naval Postgraduate School. And when you go on limited duty, they like cancel your orders. Um, so then I got like plugged into whatever next set of orders there are to Little Creek, Virginia on the USS Oak Hill, which has a very special place in my heart and no longer exists because someone's probably out there shaving. Uh, they decommissioned that ship. But it was an amphib. Um, and I was there for about two years. So, uh, and I crossed deck to the USS Tortuga as well, because I actually wanted to get underway. So I was already a little bit older since I'd spent a year at grad school than my peers. So they already had a bunch of experience of like being a surface warfare officer and driving a ship and deploying and doing things. I didn't have that experience yet. So I wanted to try and play catch up and I requested to cross deck. Uh, so I spent some time in the USS Tortuga and we did ball tops. Um, and then when I was with the USS Oak Hill, we deployed twice. One was for counter drug ops down in South America. And then the other was with EAG-1, the Expeditionary Action Group 1 um, for a lot of anti-piracy. Uh, so that was off the Horn of Africa. It was wild. I was a VBSS officer. So that's the Vessel Board Search and Seizure. Uh, there was a ship that was hijacked when I was out there. So we helped aid with the 21 hostages that had been kept on board. And then, you know, they call them pirates. We called them personnel under control. Um, but we had to work with the UN. Like it was, it was shortly after Abu Ghraib. There was a lot going on. We had a bunch of like UN attorneys making sure like, we're doing things the way we should be doing them. But yeah, I mean, it ships that were hijacked, pirates essentially, hostages, helping them out. And then we did like a quick little dip into the Persian Gulf for like a hot minute before then we came back to the USS Kill. Yeah, so I'm reading um, Space Power Ascendant, which is a book about like why the Space Force was created and how 
Um, it's a lot about like China and what China's doing in space. But in the book, he talks about how the U.S. really came to power because of their Navy. And it really has changed like my perspective on the Navy being Air Force. I always thought it was the Air Force that like, you know, we're number one in air power. But then it was talking about all the things you're talking about, like drug interdiction and piracy and like all the different things and like controlling where ships can go and how pivotal the Navy is. And I don't think I really understood it but because he's talking about how in space it's a similar type of thing like once we get out of like earth's you know geosynchronous orbit and like there's key places that you have to control just like the navy has to control different places and so it's really interesting to hear about you talk about like all the different things that you did and like how crucial the navy is today to the u.s military and I think a lot of times people don't realize all the different things that the Navy is doing, that the Coast Guard is doing, and how that sea power is so important. Yeah, I mean, it was an adventure. It's an adventure to even, like, think and talk about now. You know, it, it, for me now, it feels like it was this whole other life that I live where people are like, wait, you fought pirates? And, like, I mean, I guess, yeah, like, that's, that's what we did, you know? Like, we had these submissions of um, anti-human trafficking. It's a lot of anti-things. There's also an anti-terrorism force protection officers, like anti-everything. That's just how they name it. But, you know, like, you would be searching vessels or gathering intelligence or trying to find these ships that are that are engaged in human trafficking. Um, you know, a lot of that work was with coalitions. So we were working with, like, Australian ships and British ships and French ships. But it's all these things that are kind of happening out there in the world that the U.S. Navy is out there trying to deter and trying to do their best. You know, it's, it's sort of the, like, make the world a little bit of a, a better place in addition to kind of fighting in wars. So, yeah, it's, it's weird to think about that part of my life because it, it feels like it was a whole lifetime ago. I know, it's just really cool to hear all about all your different experiences and the different places that you got to go. So then after those two deployments, is that when you switched over to... Yeah. So I actually stayed as a surface worker longer, officer a little bit longer. Um, I mean, honestly, I was having fun, having fun in the sense to like that camaraderie piece and that service piece that I think is sort of like echoed throughout just my life and my career. Like, you know, I loved our, I loved the ship. I loved the folks that we had on the ship. Like, yes, it was hard to be like, take care surface warfare. It's tough living on a ship, deploying a ship. It's tough. But I just felt like we were really doing some good work and I, I loved the folks that I was serving with, both officers and enlisted. Like it's hard to to replicate that, I think, even as a, a civilian. And we were just doing really good work. But you know, then as I was thinking about like what do I actually want for my career ultimately, I had this ocean option. I started talking to some of the detailers that were in the Me Talk community now, information dominance. And trying to learn and understand, like, well, what would my career be like as a MeTalk officer? You know, I had this degree. Hilariously, my graduate degree was as a surface warfare officer, even though I was still studying essentially oceanography for, like, anti-submarine warfare, because that all has to do with, like, ocean and acoustics and game theory. Um, but I started talking to the details about, like, what could my career look like as a MeTalk officer? And, you know, some of these fun things popped up. But, like, you can ride around in a jet ski and deploy all over the world and hang out with, like, dive teams and go scuba diving. And I was like, maybe I want to do that. That sounds cool. I'm going to go do that. Um, and so then I did. I finished out my tour. You know, I extended a little bit and then I dropped my ocean option and then transferred to the MeTalk community for like a whole new adventure in Mississippi. And you said that you got to go to a lot of schools and talk about what you did and help with recruiting. How did you end up doing that? I did. I mean, that was just sort of my own, I think, like volunteer 
piece, right? So uh, um, the head of Naval Oceanography is is down at the Stennis Space Center in Mississippi. Uh, we used to laugh a lot about that because it's not like on the Atlantic or the Pacific, it's in the Gulf. So that's why I have to joke around and be like, in Mississippi. Um, and there was just a lot of opportunities, I think, down there. Like, And again, back this is back in, what, like 2008? Where I feel like back then, folks, like even talking about STEM or talking about like STEM and women or trying to get like women into science or women into math, like that was just kind of starting. And I, I, I thought it was important just like for myself that, you know, like I'm a woman in science, in the military, doing some cool stuff that I never knew was out there. And just like through my command and just through, you know, like I, I actually want to, I was living in Slidell, Louisiana. I was like coaching a swim team and like part of this little swimming community and, and just kind of through some connections, folks would be like, hey, will you come like chat to my class? So I'd throw my uniform on and, you know, like I'd talk to my CEO or my XO and be like, hey, can I go like chat with this class on this random Friday afternoon or something? And they were like, yeah. And then it just kind of became a thing. So then I was just like talking to classes or going to science fairs and expos to just say like, here's this cool thing that you can do. Like if you like science, there's options out there other than like looking at organisms under a microscope or doing engineering. Like you can actively be out there and diving in the sea and the ocean and seeing cool marine life. And you can be, um, you know, like mapping out the bottom, riding jet skis or small boats and seeing the world and deploying out there and doing hydrography. And uh, it just, it was a fun thing for me, I think, to just kind of share that because I feel like I had no idea. No one told me. So I just kind of want to like tell everybody, like, I feel like I had this secret that I just wanted to share. I really loved math and science when I was growing up and I didn't have any idea like what career fields were out there and I I started to get my degree in math because that's what I thought you could do with math and then I learned about engineering and it was like this whole thing where I was like oh there's like all these jobs around math and science but like no one had ever talked to me about it maybe because I was a woman maybe because and like my parents hadn't my mom had gone to college to be a teacher while I was growing up but my dad didn't have a degree and like there wasn't like we just didn't have that in our lives and so we had no idea what you know we could do and I didn't know who to talk to and so and then there's like really I mean there's these crazy things I think the Navy and the Coast Guard have like all these like crazy like ocean related degrees that you can you know do these jobs that like no one would ever expect in you know that it's like oh you can do that in the military that's what's like what do you want to do? You can probably do it in the military. Like, yeah, there's probably a few rare exceptions of things that you can't do, but almost everything you can do in the military. Yeah. The, since we're talking about all the random things you can do in the military, uh, I didn't talk about while I was at the Naval Academy. Um, I, I think they still exist. I'd have to do some Googling. I got to do an internship with the Spa War Marine Mammal Program too, which is something else that I feel like is almost like just bonkers that I did it and they could do in the military. Um, Cause the Navy has these dolphins and sea lions and they're out in San Diego. And back then I do think there's technology now, but it used to be that you, there was no man-made technology that could find a buried mine, but the bioacoustics of a dolphin could do it. So like if somebody wanted to mine a harbor or, you know, like do some real damage to people and they buried that mine under the sand, 
we had no real way back then that was man-made to try and find that mine. But like a dolphin could find it. So the dolphins were trained. This is like declassified. Like you can Google this. I'm, I'm not sharing like top secret stuff, by the way. I don't want like the NSA or the FBI to come get me. But so a dolphin, like they would be trained to be able to just drop these essentially like flags around. So they're not going near it. They're not going to like enter themselves to drop these flags around so that like then dive teams could go in and, you know, like take care of it and deactivate it or whatever they do. And so then you have these dolphins and sea lions that are like out in San Diego living in these open pens. They could go like in and out of the pens, however they choose, getting like sushi grade fish. And so as the interns would be like bucketing the special fish for the dolphins and you'd be like going out at night in San Diego. I'm like, you're like, oh, is that glitter? No, that's fish scales. Um, and just these cool things. Like, I got to hang out with dolphins all day. And then the dolphins, when they retire, they go over to the research pier and like live out the rest of their like super long, beautiful, wonderful lives, getting amazing care and really good sushi grade fish every single day. Um, but like, it's another thing that, you know, like when I was a kid, I'm like, oh yeah, I want to be a dolphin trainer at SeaWorld. Like you can do that in the Navy. You can go train dolphins in the Navy. And like, they're not even a hundred percent living in captivity. They're living in like open pens that they can, you know, jump out and go explore for a couple of weeks and then like come back and play some fun games with you while they're tagging buried mines. Other, other random things in the Navy that I think I had no idea you could do and is not out there enough. For folks to know like there's just wild things in the military that you can do that are a lot of fun and really cool yeah i know now i'm like i really need to do like a series on different jobs in the military because there is there's so much and people need to know about it and i think a lot of people who have like you know different platforms talk about like their career field because that's you know what they did but there's not a good wealth of knowledge of the different career fields and like we talk about it a little bit on the podcast, but mainly it's about your experience, and so it's not as detailed. So you're in Mississippi doing a really cool job, and then what happened? Did you get out of the military, or what happened? Yeah, I did. I, I mean, honestly, for me, like, similarly, like, and again, I feel like just throughout my life and my career, there's just this theme of service and like camaraderie i mean similarly we had a wardroom it was a new unit we had this really tight wardroom like i'm still really close with the co and xo that was there at the time and some of the other folks that were in that unit and i i got to a bit of like a turning point in my life of um so i'm an only child my parents health was fading um pretty quickly as i was thinking about like the next steps that were in front of me and my career i also got um, like pretty inspired by the environment and protect, protecting the environment. And I just decided to get out of the military. It was a really tough decision. And I remember like crying in my CEO's office. One, because I didn't want him to get dinged for retention because I really thought he was a truly remarkable leader and I was having a lot of fun. But then like continuing in my career and continuing down sort of like the path in my career, there were a few things that I just felt like I could have a greater impact kind of on the world. That sounds really prideful, but like, I feel like I could do more good on the outside than on the inside sooner. Like, I feel like it was just going to take me longer to continue to progress and promote within my career. That if I got out of the military, like there's more good that I could do kind of quicker. I mean, there were a couple things, you know, like it was tough to move around a bunch. Again, my parents' health was fading. And like, there was a few times where I felt that like someone that I was 
that was in my unit that like maybe wasn't doing a super great job at their job got to like go do some cool thing because they weren't trusted to like stay back and do essentially there's a very specific example so there was this survey that was going to the Maldives 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 I'm probably saying that wrong and then we were going to get inspected this big like IG inspector general's inspection and um commanding officer was like I know you were supposed to go to the Maldives, but I need you to stay back and do this IG inspection because like, I trust you and you're going to do a really great job. And like, we need you to do this. So of course, like I get it. And someone else got to go on that survey to the Maldives because they weren't trusted to sort of like do this IG inspection. And in my mind, I'm like, but if I was in the civilian world, like at least I'd get like a big bonus or I'd get promoted earlier, like something. And when you're in the military, like you are kind of in this trial like you can't get promoted until you're so many years in grade or whatever and like you don't get bonuses and if someone else isn't so great at their job if they like outrank you like they're still going to make more money than you they're still going to have more seniority than you um so that that wasn't the only reason I got out but like that feeling of like if I'm doing really good things I can't move up any faster and I can't have a greater impact any faster coupled with my my parents health made me drop my papers to get out of the military in 2008 when the economy was like crashing really really great, great idea great timing right great timing great timing you're like oh let's leave this steady job for i don't know what <laughs> i don't that was i had a i had a really rough transition that's something i'm also like super passionate about is anyone transitioning i had no idea and again, this is back back in like 2008. My TAPS class, the Transition Assistance Program, in my like two-day TAPS class, which prepares you for nothing back then, the woman that was leading it, the whole class, and the class was mixed. It was officers enlisted, all sorts of folks, was like, well, you shouldn't put any leadership experience on your resume because it could intimidate employers. And I raised my hand and was like, ma'am, I'm so sorry, but I completely disagree. And I feel moved to say that like out loud to this class. Like, I think you should put all your leadership experience on your resume because I think that's really important. So that was my like transition assistant. I had no, I didn't know the difference between project management versus product management. I, I had no idea what marketing was. And I, I just had no clue and I felt completely unprepared. And so anyone listening right now probably is like, what were you thinking? Why did you get out of the military? But I just like had the little hope in my heart that I was going to like make a big difference in the world on the outside. It was really tough. I think it's really hard because when you're in the military, I was just in a presentation before this interview and there were a lot of people who were in the National Guard or the Reserve. And I was like, get involved in veteran organizations now because veterans know what it's like to transition. And they also know all these resources that they've learned about since they got out of the military and wish they knew about when they were leaving the military. Like, I feel like there's this big disconnect between like people who are in the service and then veterans, even like the VA, you're active duty. So you're under, you know, DOD and then the VA is separate and there's like no real good, you know, I had a two hour brief about the VA, which everything went over my head and I I don't under still don't understand like what I was supposed to get from that two hour brief because I didn't do any of the stuff I was supposed to because it was so much information in a two hour brief and it wasn't even like the same language. It's just like when you join the military, it's like, I have no idea what you're talking about. 
And so, I mean, I feel like the military tells you, like, when you get out, people are going to want to give you a job. Like, you're going to be so marketable. And, like, but they don't, I don't know why they say that. Because if you don't do the work and you don't understand what you're going into, like, so many people talk about how hard their transition out of the military is. Yeah, it was, it was really, it was really tough. I wound up taking a job through one of the, like, recruiter we place military people places. And it was horrible. (laughs) so bad uh I, I wound up actually working for a recruiting firm and it was, this is like a really long story short for here i mean like that recruiting firm was pretty much just kind of taking advantage of military folks because they're like well we can work these guys to the bone and in my mind like i thought i was work like helping support like clean energy and like green talks like out in san francisco and like helping these startups and and like having an impact and really it was just like oh we just want to like ring the catch register and and I was like, this isn't, you know, what I signed up for. I actually care, you know, like I, I actually really care. And the partners were kind of gross. The long story short is like, I ultimately wound up a nonprofit, but like, I didn't know that you could work for a nonprofit as a career and get a salary. I literally thought that all the people that worked for nonprofits were just volunteers and that they weren't actual staff where you get like a salary and benefits and things like that. So my really rough transition and like just taking this whatever sort of job that I didn't understand really even the job that I was taking. So I feel like I got sold on that job and just didn't know what I was getting into. And then the job itself turned out to be definitely not what I thought it was. Led me like desperately trying to break into the nonprofit field because I felt that like as a person, I'm just a like a mission driven sort of like mission focused person. And that's what gets me out of bed every single day. And that was one of the reasons I chose to leave the military. And so then I just started hunting down nonprofits to to try and get a job for a nonprofit. Once I learned you could actually get paid to work for a nonprofit. Yeah, well, I mean, if you don't know, you don't know. I mean, I nonprofit, you think no profit, so no money, right? Yeah, who knew? Who knew? I did not know. And then I found out. And then it changed my changed my career, trajectory of my life, my career. I mean, it's, it's more, it's still a business. It's a tax status. I mean, obviously how you bring in money, but like you have to manage money. You have a, you have a team of people and like, it's just like a business and you have to be getting people to invest in your company. It's different than having like sponsors, but you know, that it's just tax status, not yeah, not that you can't pay people, but I, yeah, I, yeah. I used to think that too. I used to think, oh, like, look at all these great volunteers, and there are yeah, a lot of volunteers that support nonprofits. Yeah. So, but there are key staff members too. Yeah, 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 and it is. I mean, we still have a bottom line, uh, and I think sometimes it's even harder because we do have a bottom line, and you know, you want to do the best, most impactful work that you can do with the folks that are giving you money to do that work. Because they have that stake and that ownership and like giving you the money and and what you what are you doing? So, do you want to talk a little bit about what you are doing today? Yeah. So I work for New Politics, which this is fun. I'm the chief operating officer, and I'm tour. I'm normally like behind the scenes, so I'm normally the person that's doing like the budgets and the day to day. I'm kind of like the XO to the CEO. So our our CEO, our CEO, our executive director um, is Emily Cherniak, and I'm sort of like her XO, running the day to day kind of business, really, of a nonprofit. But I love talking about my work and nonprofits and my transition from the military, which is why we get to chat today. So we are a bipartisan organization. And we are working to help get folks that have served their communities or their country 
to serve again in politics. Um, which most of the time when I say that, folks are like, whoa, wait, what? Um, and we talk about, you know, like you talk about the VA having like a different language and like politics has a different language. And most folks are like, I would never, I could never, you know, like, I don't want to, I don't want my family to get dragged through the mud. I don't, I don't like, I could never do that. And I think what folks don't realize is that there's so many positions up and down the ballot, even at like the hyper local level, like someone is approving liquor licenses you know like there's someone out there that has a huge impact on your community and your day-to-day in an elected position and we just want those people to be ground to be servant leaders to be grounded in that service that they're there for their communities and their country first you know it's not about parties it's not about self-interest like it's truly about service to your community and to your country it's folks that have courage integrity empathy like all the things i learned about at the naval academy that i served alongside people in any one of my squads or units or companies or wardrooms that you know like i know that there was folks that i served with that maybe weren't exactly aligned with my like political ideology on some certain policy but that are good people and when we were serving together none of that mattered like we were trying to work together to accomplish some sort of objective or mission or like deployment like we were just trying to work together it goes like all the way back to that camaraderie that pulled me to the naval academy and that like i felt through each place i was stationed that 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 service that like commitment to service and to doing the work like we're just trying to truly recruit, develop, and then help those folks get elected up and down the ballot, because that's how we feel like we can really revitalize our democracy. It's it's the folks that would be like, oh, I would never, like, those are the folks we actually really need serving up and down the ballot. So like all the way up to, sure, the Senate, but like your local, you know, and I live in DC, we have ANCs and their advisory neighborhood commissioners. And oftentimes folks run unopposed or like there isn't even someone to fill that seat. Like no one raises their hand. So at New Politics, like we're truly just trying to find folks that served before and be like, hey, it would be really great if you'd serve again. Here's another way that you can serve, not in the military, but like you can serve your community through this elected office. And like, we will be just like, I had hoped someone would have held my hand as I transitioned out of the military and told me how to like fill out whatever VA form or like do whatever thing I was supposed to do. Like we'll pair you with an advisor to literally hold your hand every single step of the way of how you even run for like a neighborhood commissioner seat and just be there. You can like text them at any moment. They'll they'll be on your team for free. So like what we do is we raise this money to then be able to have these advisors that help people for free so that like, you know, we're not, there's not money behind it. We're like unbiased, bipartisan, just trying to help really good people serve again through politics. I really like that. And I love that you're talking about like, not just, I mean, people think about the Senate and the House of Representatives, but like the local level and like how we can make a direct impact in our communities if we're, you know, on those boards and, you know, running for a public office in you know, small ways and how that can make such a big impact. And I know that veterans, you know, they do, we do work with 
people who are of different you know culture politics everything and like it's one of the strengths that the military has is like we're so different but when we get behind a mission it's like none of that stuff matters it's getting the work done and so i think i think having more veterans in politics and in different positions is really important and i'm like oh yeah because it's like i could i could maybe do something like local i live in la so it's not you know (laughs) it's not very tiny but you um, should do it and then you should call me and we'll help you every step of the way (laughs) but it just i mean it sounds like such a great program yeah my husband's in the military so we're still moving um but he's closer and closer to retirement and like once he's not in the military and we stop moving i feel like i'll be able to like set down roots and build a community and and that's something to think about cuz that's definitely i mean that's a great i mean cuz i was just thinking like oh politics i do not want to be a senator you don't have to be a senator yeah and that's and people be like oh but like i'd have to raise millions of dollars i'm like Fun fact, if it's like city council, like you maybe only even need, I don't know, like a thousand dollars. And at that point, there's even cities that'll be like, we'll give you money to run. Like, that's the thing is that I think, you know, you read the news and you like see all the things that are out there. And I, before joining this organization, like I never even knew just the multitude of ways up and down to the ballot that folks could continue to serve their community through politics because I think I was just immediately turned off by politics and there's so many roles that are like the role itself is a nonpartisan role there's no like party affiliation with it but it has a really huge impact in your very hyper local community and like sure maybe it is senate or like state senate or city council but just like even folks that want to get involved that want to be poll workers that want to work on a campaign I also didn't realize that like you could have a career working on a campaign you know like you could be the logistics person helping someone who is running and you yourself don't have to run but that it's just it's another way to continue that service and i think it's something that folks might just be so turned off by because of like the news and things that we just want to try and offer like the training and just demystifying like what it actually means to serve again through elected office or just like in the political arena yeah, that's really great. I love hearing about that. That's really cool. I think you guys are doing really great work, so I'm really excited that we got a chance to talk. Thank you. And now I'm gonna you're gonna like tell me when you're ready. You're gonna call me one day and be like, Hey, I think I'm ready. Tell me how I can run for something. Tell me what to run for. I'm like, Well, I won't because I'm the ops person, but I'll make sure one of our advisors tells me. Yeah. Yeah, give me a few uh years to think about it. No, I'm I'm an introvert, so I'm like, mm, I'll put that in the back of my mind and start thinking about it. And that's okay. It we sounds- need more introverts. We need more introverts. We definitely need more women too. So. Yeah. No, it sounds like a great idea. So something really interesting to think about and how to get involved in my community. And as we get closer to retirement, it's like, oh, it's not a temporary place. It's like somewhere we're going to live. And so it it kind of shifts your focus. I think that's like one of the hard parts I think about like military is like you're not really in the community that you're living in because you're always thinking about where you're going to move. And so I think that's another thing is like the shift of like, this is where I'm going to live. I need to get invested in the community and not the military community, but the like actual community that I'm living in. So, yeah, for sure. So I always like to end the interview with what advice would you give to young women who are considering military service? So what would you say? I would say so many things. 
I'd say the first thing I think I would say is like to just do it, to just raise your hands, give it a shot. I mean, I think one of my life philosophies has always just been like, well, at the end of the day, it's going to be a great story. Like there are some really wacko, crazy things that happened. And I feel like, you know, you could chat all day long and just be telling stories because at the end of the day, it's just going to be a great story. I think that, you know, being a woman in the military can be hard sometimes and it offers up incredible opportunity to stop no matter where you are enlisted officer like it offers up incredible opportunity to have like autonomy in the sense that you are doing things and you're given the opportunity to do things that your peers outside of the military will never have that experience like whether it is traveling and seeing other cultures and the way you do and working you know with different folks from all across the country or the world or like you know when you're on a ship and you're on deployment, like you're your own kind of country out there figuring it out and serving and solving problems and stepping into like leadership. And so like that opportunity itself, I think is was really amazing and really set me up for a career, like very early on having kind of all that opportunity really at a young age. I think the other thing that I would share is that thinking about my career as a woman in the military, I did think of it a lot like a chess match in that I was in it for the long game to try and achieve like greater impact and influence when I felt like it was appropriate for me to really speak up for other women and for myself. I say that because like there's just gotta be times where there's still some good old boys club, right? And like maybe all the guys in your unit are gonna go on an ATV thing and you're like just not into ATVs. And that's okay. And they might have some like bonding time that you're not going to be part of. And you might feel left out because that's just not your jam. And that's fine. And I think just, you know, like continue to keep your head down and work hard and serve, right? Like I always looked at my time in the military, like how could I serve my unit? How could I serve the guys that I was with? Like I was a really good swimmer and we were doing rifle PT. I'd carry extra rifles in the pool like above my head for the other folks that were struggling because that's how I could contribute like more and better for the team. And just kind of like keeping your head down in that ultimate chess match. So then once you are in a place to be able to really give like your thoughts and opinions and have them heard, like you've earned the respect and you've earned kind of the place at the table to be there to continue to support other women by sharing like your thoughts and your experiences and your ideas and your suggestions. Like it's like the long game. So I think it's, it's just realizing like one, you should always say yes and raise your hand and like go for it. And two, there's going to be times that you're going to have to keep your head down because there, I mean, there's far more women in the military than when I was in and far more women like at the Naval Academy than when I was in, but like know that, you know, thousands of women went before you and you can do it and you might have to keep your head down sometimes and that's okay. And you should definitely raise your hand whenever you get the opportunity. And that, you know, just keep working hard for when you get that seat at the table, knowing then that you can really share like your truth and your story to like have a better and greater impact for the women coming then behind you. You really can continue to like pave the way. And I think, you know, I would love to see at one point when the heads of every single service are all women and they're all admirals. And like, wouldn't that be amazing? It should be. Like, it's funny when I think back to my first ship on the USS O'Kill, like, it was me and another woman that were kind of the most trusted, like, ship drivers by our CO. 
because we're great. Like women do really great, amazing, awesome things. And we have pretty solid heads on our shoulders. So we just kind of got to keep raising our hands. So yeah, get wild, have some adventures. I love it. I love it. Yes. Women are amazing. I love getting to meet women veterans and getting to hear their stories. That's why I have a podcast. (laughs) I just feel so lucky that I get to to get to meet all of you and hear your stories because it's just so inspiring to hear not only what you've done in the military, but now what you're doing today and how you're continuing to give back. And so I really appreciate your time and for being on the show. And thanks so much. Thank you. This is fun. I just want to keep chatting all day. <laughs>